0: You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Welcome. I hope you're having an amazing day. You are listening to Provisions and Libations, and I'm your host, Robin Bogue, on the Mission Matters Podcast Network. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You are welcome. Erin created a new product earlier, or actually later in the year, last year, called Jammin. And Jammin is a fun, unique way of looking at her name as a jar of jam. And with that, she's created a apple butter, pumpkin butter, pear butter, chocolate sauce, cranberry sauce, Dolce de leche, and orange marmalade. And I know for sure, because I'm a customer, she has created these with her own unique ingredients and flavors to create these items that you just want to have more and more. Like I know for sure I've already bought, I think I'm on my third jar of pear, pear butter and <laughs> I know I'm going to be on my second jar of chocolate sauce too. So tell us about the first product that you made. I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, you started with apple
1: butter. Tell us about that. I did. So yeah, I started with apple butter. I was talking to you and a few other people, I think around like September, August, September of last year. And I just wanted to, you know, do something creative and kind of supplement my income at the same time. And so I got in a little back, little background about, you know, why I got into jamming or, you know, preserving and canning and all that through 2020, you know, nobody, nothing was happening in the world. So I decided to pick up a new hobby, and I do have a culinary background, and so I really got into it with that. And so when last year came around, I was talking to a couple people, and they're like, yeah, you should really try this out. You know, see, see where it takes you. So I started with making apple butter, and I you know I, I went and found a couple different apples that I really like to cook with. And typically I like to use like a a trio of different apples because, you know, if you use just one, it kind of gives it just one dimension. Whereas, you know, if you use a couple different ones, it kind of really expands the flavor and it really shows up, shows up in the jar.
0: Yeah. Did you use Honeycrisp apples?
1: I did. So I I used Honeycrisp. I I I would I was using Honeycrisp at first. I am actually using a Honeycrisp cider in the in the apple butter. So the flavor of the Honeycrisp really does come through a lot more. And also I was using a Granny Smith, a Gala and or a Fuji in in that combination as well.
0: And those all kind of have the same flavor profile. I don't think people really recognize or know that In September, there's a certain type of apple compared to October, compared to November, and then finishing in December, Mm -hmm. that there's a season in the apple season, and they're very specific. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that a few years ago, and I was fascinated. There's more than 100 different varietals of apples, and I did not grow up thinking that. I thought there was four or five.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I grew up in New England. So I don't think a lot of people really know a whole lot about apple butter in California a whole lot. So I I really liked being able to showcase some of my, you know, my New England roots.
0: (laughs) And I resonate with that as my grandmother's from Kentucky, and I only had apple butter that she made when I was a kid. You didn't find it in the stores. And back then we didn't have the specialty stores like we have now, like we have cute boutiques that have apple butter and they're in the cute little jars, mm-hmm. but growing up, we didn't have that. And so apple butter to me is very fond for me to think of my grandma Dixie from Kentucky. So I totally agree with you. Yep. <laughs> yep. So your next, um, your next product that you made, I believe was the pumpkin butter.
1: Yes. So
0: tell me about that because I cannot picture putting a pumpkin in a crock pot and making pumpkin butter. How do you do that?
1: (laughs) Well, typically, so I did kind of cut out the middleman, if you will, with that one. So typically you could take, you know, a couple sugar pumpkins, the ones you would use for apple pie and make it into a puree and then cook it down and use that in it. But I decided to not do that. And I just used the, you know, the pumpkin puree in the can, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's already done and it's easy to do. And so that, then I just add sugar and the spices, you know, cinnamon, cloves, nutmeg, and do it that way. And the method for making pumpkin butter versus, apple, it's basically the same thing, but, you know, it takes less time. Apple butter typically takes at least 10 hours to cook down. Well, oh, wow. pumpkin butter takes, you know, not even a quarter of that. It's, you know, maybe you're maybe making it for an hour. The, the process for canning pumpkin butter is a little bit different. When you're typically making, you know, apple butter or a fruit jam, anything like that, you're using a water bath method. If you're making something that has less acid in it, then you would want to be doing the pressure canner because, you know, it, it decreases the amount of oxygen in the can and it reduces the spoilage effect. You know, we don't want to have botulism in there. So right. you want to make sure you're you're keeping your your food safe and your, your clients safe as well.
0: Right. And with me, I've never done anything like this. So I didn't even know there was a different technique for canning because it's just, not in my wheelhouse. And so that, thank you for explaining, because I would never have known. Of course. (laughs) The next one you made, and I have been a great connoisseur of, is your pear, pear butter. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So that one is a similar method to the apple butter, but it's made with pears. And I did a combination of Bartlett and Bosque. So you get kind of both, both, both flavor profiles. And I added lemon and lemon zest and a little bit of orange zest to it as well. And that really, I like lemon zest, but I like I like how the orange zest kind of makes it pop it pop a little bit more. It's a little bit softer than lemon zest, so mm-hmm. I like I liked those flavors in there.
0: Well, and I think I identify with that now that you're saying that because it has that earthiness, and I think you get that from the orange.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I had no idea that there was lemon zest in there. That's yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. That's amazing. So then your next item that you made was a chocolate sauce. Let's talk about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, it's, you know, your it's cocoa powder, it's sugar, and then I added vanilla and salt. So actually I make my own vanilla and what is in there. So that may set it apart from, you know, your typical Hershey's chocolate sauce that you get in the, in the grocery store. And I thought, fi- I find that when I typically use, you know, homemade vanilla or if I use vanilla beans, it really does enhance the flavor a little bit more than what you, you know, using McCormick or something along those lines. How hard and, is it to make homemade vanilla? It's really, really easy, especially if, if you want to do, it, it's basic. I use bourbon. And I just slice a vanilla bean in half and stick it in there and let it sit for a few weeks and voila, that's really all you have to do. You can also use vodka if you don't want to use the flavor of the bourbon, mm-hmm. but it's typically that's all it is. I had um, no
0: idea. <laughs>
1: that's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. That I think I would like the bourbon over the vodka because the bourbon has that warm character that vanilla has. Exactly.
1: Yep. Yep. I even, I've made homemade marshmallows before and that's what I use in making those as well. So, so
0: in a root beer float, the missing ingredient is a drop of vanilla and Mm -hmm. it's amazing because it changes the complexity. You know, you can have your root beer and your vanilla, vanilla ice cream, but then when you drop that little bit of vanilla in there changes it. It makes
1: a whole difference. Yep. It does. People
0: need to try that. Absolutely. Um, But it's really funny how, if you because you know that vanilla tastes so amazing in mm-hmm. food, if you actually put it on your finger and tasted it, it doesn't taste like that. Good. No, I remember I was nine years old when I did that. And my grandmother was staying with us because my mom had just had a baby, my oh. younger sister. And so my grandma was making cookies and I wanted to taste vanilla. And she's like, No, I don't think you should do that. Well, she left. So being nine years old, I. Wanted to try it. So I did. And then I ended up gagging. And it's so <laughs> like, I told you not like, to. Yeah. So I've never forgotten that. But I just, it's so unique and amazing that it tastes so bad, but in food, it tastes so good.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think we all tried that with cocoa powder too. You know, the unsweetened. It's just like yes. this is not. This does not taste like chocolate. <laughs> you cannot make a
0: chocolate milk with that, like you do with Nestle Quick. <laughs> it does not work because I know we tried that as well, and it oh, just yeah. didn't work.
1: <laughs> yeah. So then, your next product, I believe, you made a cranberry sauce. I did. Yep. <clears throat> and so I actually I like to use you know fresh herbs, fresh fresh produce basically in everything I make. And last year it was last year i i bought a lot of cardamom pods and I, i love using fresh i used groundly fresh freshly ground nutmeg you reverse those words freshly freshly ground nutmeg i used i crushed the cardamom pods myself i used actual allspice you know that comes in the little balls and i think that really enhances the flavors of you know everything that's in there so it has The cranberry sauce has the cardamom, the allspice, nutmeg, cloves, a little bit of salt, lemon juice, orange zest, and cinnamon and orange juice. So it really, I think all those flavors really come together in that. Mm -hmm. And for Christmas, my mom sent me a recipe for these cranberry sauce or cranberry bars. And I brought them to a friend's house and I used this jam in it. And oh my God, everybody was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to try it. That's
0: one of your products that I have not tried yet. So you also made this year the
1: Dolce de leche. Did I say yeah. that right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's dulce de leche. Dolce is the Spanish word for sweet. De means of and then leche is milk. So it's sweet of milk. And typically what that process looks like, if you get the sweetened condensed milk in the store, the method is you submerge it in hot water for about three hours. And when you take it out, it's caramelized. So basically that's, that's what the dulce de leche is. It's, it's a caramel sauce, but it's, the method is just, you know, in the can, And I use the same method, but I just took it out of the can and put it in my jars. So that's all that's all that was.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that Well, It sounds like you could dip a biscotti in there and eat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It has a lot of amazing ways that you could serve it. It's not something that I've ever really had, but pouring it in my coffee every morning would be one way that I would use it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I actually sent some to my cousin who lives in Florida for Christmas. And she's like, Oh, my God, you know, she was eating it out of from a spoon. I'm like, Okay, that you could do that. Or you could like dip some, you know, strawberries in there, or some apple slices. Or, you know, you can add it to your coffee. If you're a big fan of rice pudding, you can add a little bit of that in there goes really great with ice cream really I mean that you could use it for anything anything you would use to caramel sauce for you could use it for this as well <laughs> yeah so with the
0: ice cream I could imagine slivered almonds and even like a drizzle of caramel and even another drizzle of hot chocolate <laughs> yeah. and a, even a couple drops of like a really rich port oh that would be, be amazing yeah that yeah. would be did we talk about the chocolate sauce we did yes <laughs> we did that so the, the chocolate sauce I had purchased that from you in December. And I actually took a spoonful of that the night that I bought it and just ate it straight from the jar with a spoon and savored every bit of it because I knew I needed it. I purchased it. You told me about the hot cocoa that you could do it. And you'd said, you know, boil your milk and then just add it to it. And, you know, just add as much as how dark you want it to be or how much flavor you want. Mm -hmm. And I run a lights tour with the company that I own for tours. And we go out and looking at Christmas lights and I take families and I ended up buying that so that I could make, cause I was doing homemade hot cocoa mm-hmm. and I bought that to make. And I had people from Canada and, you know, all families, I had more adults and children, which was surprising, but <laughs> the chocolate sauce each time they were like, how did you make this? And then they drank it all. And I had empty cups at the end of the night and Yay! everyone was amazed. So
1: Yep. Well, I do have more if you if you need more. So <laughs> I do need
0: more because I did use it all because I had so many of those light tours that I, at the last one they were not as dark as the other ones because I didn't yeah. have any more. And I even took the the hot milk and kind of swirled it around in the chocolate just to kind of like get it off the jar. Yep. Yeah. And I actually had to add Nestle Quick to it. I hate to admit oh, that. Oh, bummer!
1: <laughs> I needed to get it
0: out of the jar, but I didn't realize it and I didn't have time. Yep. So your, your latest project that you made, and I believe that you made that this year or in January for Mm -hmm. the the winter time is your orange marmalade. Tell tell me about that.
1: Uh, yeah, so I decided to make orange marmalade, and it's if you're familiar with the story of Paddington Bear and Paddington Square and Station and all that, this is what they make in the movie and the book and everything. So, is basically you take oranges and you carve it, carve out all the the pulp and everything, and you use you you can use the juice, and you also use the 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 rind of the orange. And what I did was to kind of me- uh, make the tannins in the rind a little bit milder. I boiled them in hot in hot water for about 10 minutes, and drained them off. And then I added uh, champagne to them and let them soak overnight. Oh
0: wow! So
1: it's going to my 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 title for this one is going to be um, Sunday morning mimosas. So it's got the the orange in there. And then you have the champagne and it's a little bit, orange marmalade is a little bit on the bitter side because it is the rind, mm-hmm. but it's typically what you would find, you know, in, in the UK and you know, what they would use on their scones and their toasts and all that good stuff.
0: I know it makes me think of the queen and having <laughs> a little tea and biscuit with a little yes. bit of marmalade. <clears throat> when she said the champagne Sunday morning mimosa, I'm like, oh, drunk put it drunken marmy is what came up in my mind when you're talking (laughs) and I'm like oh my gosh I need to get a jar and have a have all my girlfriends over and we're gonna have drunken marmies
1: (laughs) there you go perfect
0: so thank you for explaining to all of us all the products that you've made and how you made them they I can vouch I've had all of them but two and They are amazing. And I see you going far with this. And I feel like that you can have your own product line across the United States one day. But (laughs) I know those are big dreams, but people didn't understand exactly. And let's tell them really quickly, you have a culinary background as you Mm -hmm. graduated in 2008 from the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Tell us about that experience and what stands out in your mind.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, I graduated in 2008. And a little bit of background on the on the school itself. It actually began in 1946 at Yale University as a class for the GIs or for the military who are coming back from World War Two. And, you know, these men who have been in the field who have been fighting a war probably didn't want to go back and sit in a cubicle all day. So this was a way for them to kind of break out of that and, you know, start their own business. And so the class became so big that they eventually purchased the location where it's at now, which is in Hyde Park, and it's right along the Hudson. It actually used to be an old Jesuit monastery. And fun fact, actually, down in, I can't remember if it was the meat room, the, the meat classroom or the fish classroom, there is actually a door that goes into the old catacomb. So we actually still oh, have wow. monks and people still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually Farquharson Hall, which is our mess hall, basically, is actually the old church and the stained glass windows are still there. The pews are still there. It's really a beautiful, gorgeous campus. So it was really amazing going there. At one point, my My dad wanted me to take a look at Johnson Wales. I was like, no, I can't. Sorry. Mm
0: -mm. (laughs) Not with the architecture. No, not the same. No, I
1: Uh, can
0: picture exactly what you are talking about. I can picture it. Now it makes me want to go there.
1: Exactly. It's really beautiful. I think there's, oh gosh, they keep adding restaurants. There's, when I was going there, there was the American Bounty. There's the French restaurant, which is now called Escoffier, I believe. No, I'm sorry. It, w- it was called Oscoffi. Now it's called Paul Bocuse, the, po- the Bocuse Room. And then we have the Italian Caterina de' Medici restaurant. And I think we, we had St. Anthony's, but now that's been moved. So I'm not sure if that's there still or not. But anyway, going through the the curriculum was incredibly intense. <laughs> so because we have such a <laughs> proclivity for the military and we still actually have a lot of military who come to the school either as a secondary career after they've left the military or something along those lines. The curriculum is very regimented. So when you are a student there, you know, your your uniform has to be a certain way, you you have to be presented in a certain way. If a chef feels that you are not dressed properly, like, maybe you have some flyaways in your hair, or your shoes aren't are kind of, you know, you know, they they have little schmutz on them. They would actually they some of them will actually make you go back to your dorm, clean up and come back. Or you might get, you know, marked down for the day. So it was a little intense, but I really loved the curriculum and the chefs that I got to learn from. One of the chefs that I one of my absolute favorite chefs, his name was Chef Dieter Schorner. And he was this little German guy, old old man. You know, he, he's not much to look at, but he actually, he was, he's actually known for bringing creme brulee to the United States. Oh, I should know that because I am a creme brulee fanatic. And I did exactly. not know that. So he, he was a, a big, big guy, not a big guy, but you know, big name in, in the culinary world he was in the White House he actually made a cake spe- spe- specifically for Jackie On'assis oh wow and yeah and he also had a recipe for a chocolate souffle that he had made for Elizabeth II so he he definitely got around in his career and he, yeah, was, he did he was so he didn't amazing. have anything
0: special for JFK just for Jackie
1: uh just for Jackie yep I don't know about Jackie, but yeah, Jackie had a specific cake just for her. (laughs) Oh, That's
0: a lovely notion that I love learning all of that. Thank you for sharing. So with your culinary background, what makes you double dynamic is you also have a wine background as your level one sommelier that you received your court of master sommelier in 2018. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so I was living with my mom for a little bit and I was working at this wine store, wine and liquor store, and I really wanted to kind of further my career, enhance my career a little bit by going into food and beverage, and so I decided to go for my level one SOM test And I subscribe to the Guild of Master Sommeliers online. And they have anything you want to know about wine and liquor and beer and coffee and everything is right there. And it's really more... I took about... Four months or so to study for the test, and it was—I mean, I was studying for like ten hours a day, you know, six days oh a gosh. week. It was a lot. Of, it's a lot of information, and you learn about regions, you learn about grapes, you learn about the history, you know, the reason why Gamay is only in Beaujolais and nowhere else. You know, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it was—it was really intense. And then, you know, you go in for the test. I actually took it in New York City. I actually, stayed at a Airbnb in Hoboken and went into the city. Both it was a two-day the first day is more like a review and they actually give you, you know, samples of the wines that you know are you're going going to be tested on. And then you take the test. And I mean, as soon as they call out your name, you're like, thank God. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my hat's off to the people who go and get their masters because it's just it is so intense. And like, you got to know exactly what you're doing. There's actually a really great book. It's called Cork Dork. And it's a don't remember the name of the author. But she she's a journalist and she actually takes a year off to study for the Master of Psalm test. And you know, she goes through the whole she takes she takes copious notes, she interviews people, she goes to, you know, different vineyards and different places to learn about wine and you know, perfecting your palate. And it is such an intense journey. It's like I you you did great. I'm not doing that. Like it's it's so intense. Oh my god. How many levels are there in the court of psalm? For the to become for a master, master yeah, I believe there's only three so, level one, level two, two, and level three. I think for WSET, it's more. There's four, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no wonder your jams taste the way that they do, <laughs> having
0: both the culinary and the viticulture and the wine and all of that. That's why your your flavor profiles are above and beyond just a normal person creating a jam. I feel like you, you're you having all of that background really helps you hone in some skills and then also some flavors. And that really came through. Sure. Uh, didn't you have the, the wine background? Have you ever considered making a Chardonnay jam or even a Cabernet jam? Of course. Yes. <clears throat> I and think yeah, those would I, I would amazing. love to do that.
1: Or, you know, like with what I did with the marmalade, you know, just adding like either champagne or whiskey or, you know, a wine to whatever I'm making. So all those flavor profiles really pop.
0: Oh, yeah. Like I right immediately went to bourbon pear
1: yeah. or pear yeah. bourbon, <laughs> however you want to
0: say that, because I feel like those have a matching profile to where the bourbon and even a smoked bourbon with the, the pear. Man. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know if we talked about this before, but the, my favorite pair is a, a Warren pair and yeah, it comes yeah. in a yellow and it comes in a red. And then you, with the yellow, it could be just a bourbon. And then with the red, it could be the smoked bourbon. Like I've Come already on. got this marketing plan building in my mind for you.
1: Absolutely. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I need to be your
0: partner. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So your name is Jammin. Were mm-hmm. you ever
1: considered making jelly? I have. And so I I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole myself into just making jam. The typical difference between jam and jelly is jam is made from, you know, the actual fruit, you know, so like with the apple butter, with a lot of these things, there's actual fruit in there versus jelly, which is more the fruit juice. So you add pectin to it and it thickens. And that's, that's basically what jelly is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I don't think people know that, that as a kid, (laughs) it was, I, I was always
0: confused. And I just, you know, never asked, but I always wondered what the difference was. So (laughs) if you did make a jelly, is your name going to change and be called jellin? Or maybe it'll just be
1: another, you know, side or just another category of things. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that you never know. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) If you're interested in any in any of Erin's products, you can call her at 540-270-7017 to purchase, or you can contact me through my channels. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow provisions and libations wherever you listen to podcasts. I will be back next week with an all-new episode. I am your host, Robin Bogue. You can learn about me on my website, eat, drink, and be online, or my LinkedIn profile, Robin Bogue. I look forward to entertaining you, informing you, and enlightening you with the perfect accommodations for connoisseurs of provisions and libations with an Epicurean flair. But first, let's eat and drink.